steps out from the room or the car? Steps out from the hotel. Okay. And is this one of those motor ends where the doors face the outside, like you see the motels? No, you can go in. There's like a lobby you go in. It's, it's uh, yeah, uh, it's a, a kind of lodge. I don't know if you're familiar with like a kind of lodge setup. Um, it's a piece of shit hotel, but you got to walk in to go to your rooms. Um, so he walks out. He's getting in the car. I'm not going to do anything by myself. I'm not that crazy. So I let him know on the phone, hey, guy's walking out right now. I snap a photo of him and send it up so they can, you know, just verify the tag and him and everything. Um, let the guy go. When this POS comes out, is he looking, actively looking for surveillance? Is he looking around? Do you get any indication that he thinks he's hinky at all about what's happening? No, I didn't get any. I, I, I didn't notice him looking around too much. He was pretty much beeline through the car. Um, so I let him roll. I let him leave the parking lot. I wasn't concerned about it because he didn't have any luggage in his hand. So I knew he wasn't leaving for good. He had, they were going to come back at some point. You know what Did I mean? you have any indication at that point how long he had been there? Was it just recent or he'd been, had he been there for a while? I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know yet. I, I, I found out, I, I found out that night that he had been there. I think it was for like a few days or something. Um, uh, so I leave, I head on back to, back to my house. And I call the guys that I work with. I call, um, there, like I said, there's, there's four of us. One guy is not available because he's on another. He's doing like an extradition assignment, so he's he's not around. Um, so it's two other guys. Uh, so I call them. And I'm like, man, I don't like I don't like having this guy. We know where this guy's at. He's wanted for attempted homicide, and we're gonna wait till the morning to get him. When right now he's out driving around in some patrol car to stop this guy, not knowing what they're dealing with. And something bad happens or he goes back to the hotel tonight and he decides, you know what, we're leaving. He packs up the middle of the night and he's out of there. You know, um, I feel like, it's, you know, our job is to catch violent fugitives. And right now we know where this guy's at. I don't care if it's at night because we do stuff at night all the time. Like we should just posse up and go get this dude, you know. So I call we, my two, two other guys agree with me. We call the supervisor back. He agrees. Calls Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is like, yeah, if you guys want to do it tonight, that's fine. Um, so we start getting other, we start notifying other guys, uh, on the task force to come in. So there's probably in total, it's probably like 10, 10, 10 guys that are responding to this, uh, hotel. And how far away is Reading, Pennsylvania from, um, this hotel? Um, it's probably like four hours, four hours, something like that. Okay. So even if they'd want to come, well, I mean, Pennsylvania state police, they could have said, but I mean, for them, it still would have been quite a haul to get down there before you guys. It would ran have been the a haul. Yeah. Like our, 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 we were, we were going to take the guy in custody and then, you know, take him back do the out state fugitive warrant and put him on lockdown until they got the extradition squared away. Well, you know, even was, if you had waited for Pennsylvania, would there have been any value? Could they have really participated in the operation being out of state like that, unless they were a member of a fugitive task force federally sworn, could they have participated? They could, they could, because they were on the marshal's task. They were marshal's task force guys out of the Reading office. Got it. Okay. So yeah, they could. Um, so we all agree that yeah, let's do it tonight. All right. So I head on back out there, um, take up the same spot I had before because I don't want to look different. You know what I mean? How are you dressed? I'm wearing sneakers. I'm wearing um, like blue jeans and like a shirt just like this, like a pullover fleece shirt. And I got, you know, my tack vest on says police, U S marshal and all that gear, all my gear. And so have your man bun on. 
Uh, no, I didn't have my hair wasn't that long for a man bun. It was just behind okay. my ears. Thank I, God. I have no respect right. for getting arrested by somebody with a man bun. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Um, but but tell us that this the reason I ask about this. This is going to be important later. But tell us about the the vest you're talking about too, because it's soft body armor. But did you also have uh, a rifle plate? Yeah, so I had um like a throwover body armor with a hard with hard plates in it. And then, you know, like you would see, you know, like for people listening, like you would see like in the movies, you know, like a throwover tactical vest um, with like, you know, my, um, you know, magazines and radio and all that kind of stuff. And the reason I say that, too, there's no doubt when you look at this, you're well identified. Um, well identified. Yeah. Yeah. Has, you know, police placard on the front, on the back, you know, all, all that, all that jazz. Um, so we head back out. I set up surveillance. Um my my two partners show up, set up surveillance with me. So there's three of us now. Uh, and who were the other two? Uh, one one partner, uh, Josh, another guy named George. They're with uh, they were task force officers with me. They're from different agencies. Uh, but they were, we were all signed together in this task force. Um, so we're all we're all set up. Um, target vehicle comes back in the parking lot. And he does a lap around the building, obviously doing some sort of counter surveillance. And how long of a time from the time you set up till the time he returned? How long were you guys doing surveillance? Uh, it was probably, I'm going to say it was like a half hour, maybe. Yeah, because around a half hour, and that's short compared to sometimes. I mean, sometimes when you're doing surveillance, you might wait hours. You know, hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had we've we've had days where we just sat there for days doing surveillance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What time of day was this, <clears throat> approximately? At the at the at the time this happened, when the shooting happened, it was seven forty five at night. PM. Yes, wow. it was, and it was December, so it was dark. It was dark. So it's December. You know, obviously this time of year, it's got to be dark at seven thirty. You know, eight o'clock at night, right? How dark was it? Uh, it's pitch black. There was some lighting in the parking lot. Um, not uh, not heavy lighting, but there was some lighting because you have. Uh, the hotel is right there, and then just kind of adjacent to it is a uh, Cracker Barrel restaurant. So there's there's some lighting in the parking lot. Which, that's important as well, too, because now what you're talking about is you've got, I mean, people coming and going all the time, right? The, you, next to Cracker Barrels, a lot of time you'll find hotels or other stuff. So yep. you get a lot of cars, a lot of people out there, which is something you got to factor into right. your takedown, right? Right, right correct. Um, this night in particular, it was... There wasn't much happening. It was pretty empty parking lot. Um, I mean, the business they were open, but there was there wasn't much going on in there. It was pretty empty. Um, so as far as like um, a lot of people being out and about, it, we didn't have that, um, which came into you know decision making. Um, so yeah, he comes in the parking lot, does a lap around the building, obviously doing some counter surveillance because you're not just going to come in a building and drive a circle around it and park right. Um, so he comes around, we verify him in the vehicle. Um, he comes around the other side of the, bu- the building and starts to take up a parking position. Um, so now... Is he going nosing or is he backing in? He's nosing in. Um, so now we, we got a decision to make. And we had already talked about it. What we had talked about is, if this guy comes back and it's just the three of us, how are we going to handle this? Are we going to let him go in the hotel? Or are we going to take him out here in the parking lot and open air? There's pros and cons to both. If we let him go in the hotel and wait for help, we're putting him in a barricaded situation with possible hostages. Um, if we get into a shooting at the threshold of the doorway, 
we can't return fire because now we have innocent people in there. He could hit people in the room next to him across the hall, what it may be. If we take him in the open air in the parking lot, obviously, if it gets into a gunfight, there's regardless of where you are, you run a chance of something bad happening to anybody. Um, and you still got people in the vehicle too, right? There's a girlfriend and two small kids in the back seat, um, which they're going to be with. They're going to be with him regardless of where this goes down at, because they're not leaving the side. And in the room, he's, in the room, they're there, and in the car, they're there, right? Right, right. Um, so we feel like if we take him with the three of us in this parking lot. If something bad happens, there's less chance of innocent people getting hit because because we're not inside this hotel where the where there's people in adjacent rooms and whatnot. Um, so the plan was I was going to pull up from behind and pin the pin the rear of the vehicle. Um, Josh would come around the driver's side, pin the driver's side door. George would come to the passenger side and pin the passenger side. So we kind of have him blocked in because he can't go forward because the hotel's in front of him, right? So now we have him blocked in. Um, Josh couldn't get to the driver's side door because he parked next to another vehicle. Like, a you know, n- nothing, a vehicle not involved in the situation, just a random vehicle parked there. That, that was not, not occupied. Nobody was in it. Um, but still, it blocked him from, from getting out and running or anything like that, kind of, for the most part. Uh, so that's what we do. We start, we start to, to, to move in on this vehicle. Um, I pull up from behind. Are you guys equipped? Are your undercover vehicles? Are you guys equipped with lights, sirens, the whole works? Yeah, we're in, we're in just plain Jane vehicles, but we do have emergency lights on them. Yeah, so our lights are on. Yeah, da- you know, dashboard lights and all that kind of stuff, grill lights, all that. That's what I'm saying. So it, it, the thing I'm trying to paint is there's no doubt it's the police. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 identified on 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 our, the clothing we're wearing, and we're and we're identified with our vehicles with red and blue lights and all that all that jazz. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So we move in. Now, ideally, um, if you're pulling in to pin the rear of a vehicle, you want to come in straight ahead, like you're nosing into the back of the vehicle, right? The position I was in in the parking lot wouldn't allow me to come in. I had to come in from his driver's side, rear driver's side, at like an angle, okay? Which if I made a mistake, and I, and I emphasize if for a reason, if I made a mistake, this was my mistake where I came in at too much of an angle that when I opened my driver's side door up on deployment, it left me totally exposed to him, to his, to his driver's side vehicle. So like if I pulled up behind him and opened up my door, I would be looking down the driver's side of his vehicle, if you can picture that. So I opened my door up for deployment. As soon as I step out, his door pops open, and I see a hand punch out. And I immediately start seeing muzzle flashes. In my face. And before you saw those muzzle flashes, you said when you, at what point did you identify yourself other than you, you hit the lights, right? What point do you start yelling, you know, police or U.S. Marshals, show me your hands? As soon as my door pops open, I'm yelling. Hmm. All right. So the lights are on, you pull up, uh, you start yelling. And then from that point till he opens the door and you start seeing those muzzle flashes, we're talking about what, a second? A couple yeah, seconds? Second, second, two seconds max, probably not even that. Um, and at this point, where my vehicle is positioned at the back of his to his driver's side door is probably where I'm standing to where his door is, about six feet. Six feet, give or take. Damn. Um, so he opens his door up, punches out with his hand, starts firing. So I start returning fire and moving to my right, trying to get cover on the rear of his vehicle. As he's firing, he's, then he steps out on two feet. And we're standing facing each other about six feet apart. 
and we're just dumping rounds in each other. Um, my first round goes when he poked his head out to fire at me. My first round hit his door, missed his head by probably a couple inches. Um, then he comes out on two feet. I get two more rounds off center mass on him. Doesn't phase him. He's still, he's still going with two rounds center mass on him. Um, I don't know now. I don't know. What's your weapon real quick too? What's your, what are, what are you equipped with? Uh, is it your department or does the marshals issue you? What, what are you carrying now? It's my department. It's a Glock nine millimeter. Okay. He had a nine millimeter as well. It was a Taurus nine millimeter. And how big is your, how big is your, the clip that you've got? You've got, is that, that, that those are those 17 or round max? Yeah, I think it's, I think, I think it's 17 plus one plus one. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he ends up getting a number of rounds off on me. Now, at which point, um, what body part was struck in, in what, in what sequence? I, I don't know. Um, so one of the rounds takes out my fire, takes out my left hand. I take, I take a round through my left hand, lose my firearm. I take another round through my right. You're left-handed. I'm right-handed. So I, but it caused me to drop it. You know what I mean? So I got both hands on my firearm punched out. Round goes through my left hand and I lose it. Um, now this all happens within seconds. So I can't tell you exactly what, you know, what happened first, but my, my right leg, as I'm moving to the right, takes around in the hip, just below my, uh, my hip joint shatters my femur drops me, drops me where I stood. And now I'm on the ground at, at the rear of his vehicle without a firearm, without a firearm. I can see my gun underneath his car behind the tire behind the uh driver's side rear tire so from where you laid on the ground to that farm that's probably about what five or six feet away is where your gun ends up at or i could reach out and grab it but my hands didn't work both both when i fell i landed on both my hands with my plate carrier with my vest it crushed both my hands and my wrist so my oh. hands are paralyzed oh can't move gosh. can't move one single finger they're just, they're done. Um, crushed all the bones in my hands. Uh, my right leg, femur shattered. So it's now I'm on the ground. It's at a 90 degree angle. I can see it like over here, just kind of out off to the side. Um, but now I can't see him anymore, but I can still hear gunfire going off. Right. So I don't know if, I don't know if I'm still taking rounds. I don't know if my partners are taking rounds and I don't know if they're giving the rounds back because I can't see anything. Um, but I do know, I know one thing. I know that I'm still breathing and I'm still in this fight. Um, and I know if I don't get my ass moving, he's got to take, you know, three steps and he can come back here and finish me and just put one, you know, put one in my head if he wants to. So I got to get my ass moving. So I, I, I use my, uh, my left leg and my elbows and I'm crawling and I'm jamming myself underneath his car as much as I could jam myself under there to try to protect as much of my vitals as I could possibly protect. And my hope is if he does come back here and throw some more rounds in me, he's just going to fill my legs up and hopefully he doesn't hit an artery if I haven't hit one already. Um, So I'm laying there for a while and, you know, I, 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 you know, I talked about this part because I I, I feel like, you know, if if you're an officer, like I feel like you you should hear stuff like this because I want you to know what to expect if you find yourself in in a situation like this. Um, When you, if you're in a situation like that, you're going to have all kinds of things that are going to run through your mind. Um, obviously life and death is going to run through your mind, but you're also going to think about things like your family. Um, and that's 
what I thought about. I mean, I was laying on the ground crawling. I thought about my wife. I thought about my son. And then that's all I could see. It was like I was, it's, it's like I wasn't on the ground. It was like I was in a movie theater looking at a big screen and my wife and my son were on it. And it was like I was crawling. It was like I was crawling to them. It's very bizarre. Um, I never forget that. Um, were you feeling much pain at this point? I mean, I know you've been hit, but a lot of guys that we've talked to that have been shot, it's like sometimes the initial shock, they don't realize they've been shot. But um, the, So I'll get into all the rounds I took where they landed, but I took six rounds, and the only one that I could feel pain-wise uh, was my femur because it was the most excruciating. From what I was told, it's the most painful body to break in your body by a doctor. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he said. Uh, it's a big-ass bone, man. You break that. That takes a lot bone. of force. So, um, like, you know, I took, so I took around in my hand, didn't feel it. My hands were shattered, but I didn't feel it. Um, I took around through the left shoulder that I didn't know about for a couple of days. Um, I took two rounds on the right arm and I took around off my plate carrier that ricocheted and landed in my, uh, in my face, landed in my chin. It was sticking out of my chin. And I knew I had that one because I could feel it with my tongue in my mouth. Damn. Um, so I'm underneath this car and I got, you know, I'm thinking about family. I'm thinking about life or death. And I'm also thinking about what the hell can I do to get out of the situation? And the only answer is at this point, sit here and pray. Like I've done all I can do. I can't get to my weapon. The best I can do is just jam myself under here and protect my body as much as possible. Well, even so, if you could fire, get to your weapon, you can't, you can't, you can't fire well, it. You can't pick it up. I, right. Right. Exactly. I was to it. I mean, it was, it was at this point underneath the vehicle was pretty much next to me, but I couldn't grab it. Um, that that had to be so frustrating when you're sitting there, you're trying to will your hand into doing something and it won't do yeah, it. Yeah, won't do it. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, imagine putting zip ties all over your fingers together or something. You just can't do, can't do nothing with it. Um, so at this point, I'm just laying there and, you know, wait to see, wait to see what happens. Um, and eventually, you know, it, it, it sent when you, when I, when I talk about it, it sounds like this thing went on for, you know, 20 minutes or something, but in, in reality, it was probably 30 or 40 seconds. The whole, the whole situation. Um, so eventually the gunfire, uh, stops. Um, and then I hear, I hear Josh start yelling from, start yelling my name. Um, so I start yelling back like, Hey, this is where I am. Um, cause so before I get too for too much further after I went down and crawled, um, the suspect took out, took off on foot. Uh, he ran by me as I crawled underneath the vehicle in which Josh and George, um, engaged, engaged in a gunfight with him. Um, and then he was struck a number of times before he expired in the parking lot. Uh, I think he took, I'm going to say he took like 12 rounds before he went down. Oh, good uh, Lord. Yeah, We're going to get uh, into his autopsy later because I was surprised yeah. when I read it that I didn't find other things in there because you said he took two to the chest from you and he's still in the fight. Yeah. He t- had nothing in there, but, um, yeah, so he takes off on foot, engages in a, in a gunfight with the two of them. Um, he goes down uh, after taking a number of rounds. Um, and once he's down, um, it's just now, remember, it's just it was just the three of us. Um, nobody else is there yet. So Josh and George are communicating. George George says, hey, I'll stay here with 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 the suspect. You know, Josh says, I'll go, I'll go take care of TJ. So Josh comes to me, drags me out from underneath the car by my legs, which hurt like shit. Oh, shit. D- did he? Did he know about, could he see when you, when you crawled under the car, did, did you straighten out your legs and he didn't know it? Or did he know it and just said, fuck it, I got to get you out from under there. Yeah. I think he knew by looking at it, but he had to do what he had to do. You know what I mean? He had to get, it's the only way to get me out of there. He had to grab me out of there. Um, so yeah, he, he had to, so he, he pulls me out 
asked me where I'm hit. And I said, you know, all I know, man, is my leg is shattered. Like I, it's, it's done. Um, so he pulls out tourniquet, throws tourniquet on as high as he could get it on my hip. Um, that had to be painful too. Yeah. It was excruciating. Uh, the whole thing was, uh, I mean, it was just, I don't know. Someone asked me the other day if I had to describe the pain and I just, there's no way, there's just no way to describe it. Was he able to get the tourniquet above the wound? So the wound was like just below my hip bone. So he got the tourniquet. I, 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 I think he got it like on the wound. Um, so he def it definitely helped in some way. It definitely slowed the, slowed the bleeding, the, the uh, bleeding, I think. Um, so, I mean, it definitely helped out. Um, it, I didn't hit an artery, thankfully. Um, so I, I wasn't, I, it wasn't, um, as far as blood loss, it wasn't too rapid of, uh, a blood loss. Um, but so he loads me up in his car in the back seat. Now, like on our, um, like when we do our pre-ops, we always go through like a checklist of things and we always designate somebody as like a medevac vehicle. And we all, we all program the nearest hospital, um, like our GPS, you know, so that if you get into your car, boom, you hit go and you're out of there, right? You know where you're going. Um, and he did that. He wasn't, he didn't live in that area. So he didn't know the area I did. I knew the area very well. Um, so he hits go on his, on his GPS, on his, on his phone, on his GPS on dash. And we pull out of the park lot. And as we're pulling out, his phone rolls off the dash, goes underneath the chair. Oh, shit. So he loses his GPS. He loses his GPS. Um, so now we're going. Now I'm. I'm. Luckily, I, I still have the wherewithal to know what's going on. Like I'm not in like a major shock where like I'm. I'm blacked out or anything. Um, so he's. We're going south on the highway. Um, like a traffic light or two. Nothing. Not not, not real far. We just pulled out the parking lot. Uh, and, I, and I can see out of the back window and I can see like billboards. So I'm noticing the billboards were passing and I'm like, Hey man, are you going South? He's like, yeah. And I was like, whip this puppy around cause the hospital's northbound. He's like, all right. So we whip it around the next traffic light that hurt like shit. Um, You're, are you, he, he's got you sliding around in the back seat. Yeah. I'm slot. Yeah. I mean, he just, he tossed me in there and we're off to the races. Um, now the hospital is only like five, 10 minutes from there. It's not far. Um, Five or ten so minutes, not far. It is when you've been shot six times. <laughs> well, it is when you've been shot six times, right? But when you're going 100, you know, 30, you get there a little quicker too. Uh, so we're racing up the highway now. Um, I'm giving him the best directions I can give him. At the same time, he's on the radio communicating with you know the local uh, state dispatch on you know what's going on and where we're at, and trying to get directions that way. And eventually, um, a trooper met us at, at the turnoff for the hospital and, and uh, directed him in that way. Um, so we're in the back seat and um he's talking to me doing his job making sure i'm i'm awake and and i'm still with it and i'm doing my job trying to talk to him so that he doesn't freak out that i'm not with it you know what i mean so it's we're still working as a team um and um like you know we get we fall back to the old smart ass part of me here um <laughs> so we're, he he had this nice uh it was a jeep cherokee like Grand Cherokee that the the marshals had bought for the task force and, and uh, assigned to him. This thing was awesome, man. It was jet black, black wheels, black leather, had everything in there. This thing, this, this thing was was pristine. And the and back just seat was going to be a mess, wasn't it? Yeah. So I'm I'm bleeding like a stuffed pig out of my leg, my arms. I'm spitting blood everywhere because I got a brown sticking out of my face still. I'm just spitting blood all over the back of his fucking leather seat. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And he was like, don't be sorry, man. It's going to be fine. You're, you're going to make it. And I was like, I know, man, but I'm spitting blood everywhere back here. I know how much you love this car. 
<laughs> it's amazing uh, what comes to your mind at, at a I'll moment tell like you, that. Man. And, and, uh, and he's like, I can't believe you're telling jokes right now. And I was like, oh, I got to do something. So um, we're, we're moving on. We're moving on to the hospital. And um, now, you know, like, I, now, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm, we're, to, we're communicating with one another. But I'm also, you know, I'm still in this fight, you know. And, you know, I, I have an old saying that, you know, find something to do. Right. And I said, look for work. Right. Just like in the parking lot when I was laying on the ground, I couldn't get to my gun. I couldn't turn it, get myself, but I had to do something. So I looked for work. What can I do? I crawled underneath the car. Right. And we're, and I'm in the same situation now that's backseat. You know, I got to look for work. So what am I going to do? All right. Well, let's assess the situation. What do I got going on? What, what are my wounds? So I, I assess my wounds visually the best that I can. So I know what I got going on and there's not much I could do physically, but what I can do is I can slow my heart rate as much as possible by doing some combat breathing. Right. And at this point, is that where your SWAT training came in? Where is that part of the stuff you learned during your SWAT training? There's some, you get you get some of that in SWAT, and the marshals send you to a lot of good training. So I got some training with them. But it's also because you know at this point I'm 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 a pretty healthy person. I work out regularly. I I I, I, re- I run regularly. I CrossFit. I've done some triathlons. So like working on my breathing is something I'm used to doing. You know, um, so I, I take that in, in, into account, and I start working on my breathing, slowing my heart rate down. And, you know, I got that under control now. It's like, all right, now, now what can I do? I got to look for work. What can I do? So now I'm, I'm preparing myself mentally for what's about to come. I know, I know Josh is going to get me to the hospital. I know they're going to pull me out of this back seat and it's going to hurt like shit. There's, uh, it's going to happen, right? I know it's going to happen. Let's get it done with. They're going to get me inside, take my best off and they're going to knock me out. Right. They're not going to keep me awake because everything I got going on. Um, but I'm trying to think further ahead. Now I know my leg is destroyed. I don't know how bad it is, but I know it's freaking bad. Right. So I'm already telling myself like, Hey, you're going to get the hospital. They're going to knock you out. And at some point you're going to come out, you're going to come out of that. And you're going to look down and that leg's going to be gone. Like I'm already convincing myself. You lost that leg. You're going to have one leg. You're going to have a prosthetic the rest of your life. And you know what? It's all good because people do it every day and I can do it too. And nothing wrong with it. So I'm already getting out of my head and accepting it now, right? Because I don't want to wake up in the hospital, look down and be like, oh, shit, I don't have a leg. I want to look down and say, oh, shit, I do still have my leg, right? And, mm-hmm. and when does your family factor into this? Because you mentioned it was interesting the way you said it's like looking at a movie screen. So does part of your thought go, or are you just too involved in that? Because at some point, somebody's going to have to go notify your wife. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. But um, so now uh, I, I thought about my family in the parking lot and I'm still thinking about my family, but right now I'm concentrating on my breathing and focusing on what's, what's next, what's next, what's next. You know, I'm, I'm mentally preparing myself for you know, the battle that's, that, that, that's still to come. Um, so we, they get me to the hospital, unload me, they do all that jazz and they knock me out. Um, now I tell Josh, I told Josh on the way there, like, Hey man, I want you to call my wife. And he's like, man, I'm not going to call your wife. You're going to call your wife. Like, okay. Um, now, here's the thing, and, and, and when I when I go speak to uh, to officers, this is one thing I, I harp on is, um, you know, like we had a, we had a tight team. We were all good friends at work. Uh, I mean, we worked a lot. We worked nights. We worked weekends. We were always working. And when we did have time off, we did the right thing, and we spent times with our families. But the one thing we never took time to do in the years together on this task force is we never got together outside of work to get our families together. You know, um, I think Josh had met my wife one time for like a second. So he didn't even, he didn't even know her. Um, and I think that's, I think that's big for 
for cops to understand, like when you're on this job, whether you're on a shift or a task force or whatever it may be, I think it's important to get together with the guys that you work with and get the families together and get to know them because you never know when you're going to need their help. Um, now the guys on the, on the guys I work with in this task force, their wives were with my wife immediately and we're all best friends. Now we all go on vacations together. So it's great, but we should have done that a long time ago. Um, but anyway, so I get to the hospital and notification has to come right now. We live in a world of social media, right? So uh, regardless of where you work, what agency you're with and what protocols they have, they're not going to beat social media, you know? Um, so like I said, we were living with my in-laws at the time. My, my son at the time was, uh, was seven. Um, he was, he was turning eight in a few months, but he was seven at the time. And my wife was in bed, uh, reading him a story and she starts getting text messages, uh, from some friends like, Hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? Yada, yada, yada. And she doesn't know what they're talking about. And then when she sends them back messages, no one's responding. Finally, she gets a phone call from a friend, uh, for whose husband's an officer at an, an, another agency. Um, she says, Hey, do you need anything? Like, can I, can I do anything? And I mean, and my wife, my wife's name is Amanda. She said, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but you need to tell me right now what's going on. She's like, okay, uh, TJ has been shot. He's in the hospital. Um, excuse me. So my wife, uh, my wife goes down, you know, to my father-in-law cause we live there and said, Hey, TJ has been shot. I need a ride to the hospital. And the hospital is like, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes from the house. Um, so my mother-in-law stays home with, with my son. My father-in-law takes her, takes my wife to the hospital, drops her off. And about the time she gets to the hospital, uh, is when she gets a phone call from, um, my PD. And she's like, I know I'm at, I'm at the, I'm already at the fucking hospital. And of course she's mad about it, but I mean, what is she mad about how she found out or is she mad that you're shot? She's really mad about how she found out, which, you know, looking back, she knows like they couldn't have, they're not going to beat that. You know how I mean? did it? Yeah. And so how did it get out? I mean, who's, who's tweeting from the scene or who's Facebooking it or whatever. I mean, do you, did you know how the initial information got out? Was it listening to the scanner or something? I think it was just word of mouth through Copland, you know, um, Delaware is a small state and it's a very small law enforcement community and word travels real quick. And excuse me. And when word gets out that, you know, Hey, someone on the Marshall's task force was shot. Well, shit, there's only it narrows it down. down. Yeah. Narrows it down. Um, so it got out pretty quick to within the law enforcement community. The, the 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 my name got out really really fast. So so that's what I was getting at. It wasn't out in the public yet. It was just the closed circle of cops. Closed circle of cops, right? Um, so she found out that way, and then um, so I was at the first hospital um, for about forty five minutes to an hour. I was there. It wasn't very long. Then they they uh, flew me out to uh, Christiana Hospital, which is about an hour or so north. Uh, north end of the state was, but did your wife go with you on that trip? That my my PD drove her up. She couldn't she couldn't get on the helicopter. Um, so they flew me up and they drove her up. So they get me up. They get me up to the uh, next hospital. I'm intubated at this point. I'm out. Um, they get her up there. My, my wife comes in, sees me up there, and um, <laughs> she she said she she was back. They let her back in the uh, in the in the OR or whatever for a while. While they were like, you know, get me stable and all that kind of stuff. I was stable already, but they were just doing assessing and all that kind of stuff, whatever. Um, and she said the uh, she said the nurse kind of looked at me and was like, oh, look at that. And like kind of went in there and just poop, 
pulled the bullet out of my chin with my wife, <laughs> my wife standing there. Um, so, I mean, it was, you know, it didn't bother her. She thought it was kind of, you know, looking back, she thought it was funny, but, um, nurses are tough, man. They're fucking tough. My wife's tough too. Um, so they, they, they do that. So now I'm out. This is, you know, this is Thursday night, you know, um, they keep me under, um, the next morning or the next day I have my initial round of surgeries at about two o'clock. Um, so have I'm still you woken out up yet. No, I'm still out. I'm still out. Um, my initial round of surgeries were, I have a rod in my right femur from my hip, my hip joint down to my kneecap. I have, uh, pins and plates in both my hands and I have a shrapnel, like a bullet fragments and bone fragments kind of everywhere. Cause, um, from my hip bone and my hands and everywhere else, it's, it, and your body just kind of moves it around. You know what I mean? So I have a lot of stuff floating around in me. Is it still there today? Oh, yeah, I still have some stuff in me. Yeah, they said um, they say it might not ever come out, and sometimes you might look down and have like something sticking out, and you just kind of just they're like just pull it out. Damn. Um, Damn. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's probably. Let's hope wild. it doesn't happen when you're crapping. That could hurt. Yeah, yeah, I haven't had that yet. Oh man, um, that would be a painful one. But um, so they keep me keep me under. Um, that's that surgery's Friday. Um, Friday evening, Friday night. Um, they take me down to like a recovery and I'm still out, but like, I remember images, like I remember seeing like a, like an image of my wife and an image of my dad and my mom and stuff, um, which I thought I was dreaming. Um, but I wasn't, I, they were like, no, that you actually saw them. They were there. They were saying goodbye to you. I was like, okay. Um, so now Saturday is when I really, I'm out of it now. I'm, I'm awake. Um, but I, this is 2020. So COVID is still a problem for people. Right. Uh, so my family wasn't allowed to see me because I'm hospital wouldn't let them in because of COVID protocols. So I couldn't see my wife. I couldn't see my son. I couldn't see my parents. Couldn't see anybody. I was fortunate enough that they would they would allow a member of my agency and a marshal with me 24 um, seven. And they got around that by, you know, saying it was a security issue that they need to have, they need to have security with me. So I always had two guys with me. Now I was in the ICU for seven days. So for the seven days I was there, I had two guys with me 24 seven. I was never left alone for one, one second. Did they think about swearing your wife in as a temporary U.S. Marshal so she could come visit you? Uh, actually, yeah, there was talk. They, uh, they were getting some stuff together to, um, sneak her up. They had like a Marshall's jacket. They're going to throw on her and all kinds of shit. Um, people were sneaking in um and even the guys that were with me when i got shot you know because you know investigate investigative purposes you know you're not allowed to you've been in a shooting you're not allowed to talk to the people that you were involved with right um but they were they got snuck in so they could see me to make sure lay eyes and we make sure i was good um so now the next step was hey we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get your wife in here um luckily it didn't have to that they, they didn't have to do it um on day six the hospital finally agreed to let my wife up. So she finally comes up to see, now I'd seen her and spoken to her like on FaceTime and whatnot, but I hadn't seen her in person. So they, they she came up on day six, spent the day with me in there. And then on day seven, um, I was getting released and they were going to transport me to a live in rehab facility. That was about 45 minutes South. So it was a little closer to home. It was still, well, yeah. It's about an hour from my house still. Um, 
45 minutes to an hour from my house. But anyway, I was going, I was getting, I was going, I was getting moved to this, to a live-in rehab facility. Um, so the day I get released, um, they, they, they wheel me down and, um, they had a, you know, a big procession out there with cops everywhere, which was nice. Um, but before they wheel me out, they bring my son in finally to get to see my son. And, um, well, I was going to ask about that. Who, uh, I would assume probably your wife had to break the news to him about what happened to daddy. Yeah. She just told him, you know, um, like I said, he was seven, so he doesn't get everything. She just said, you know, daddy went to work and he got hurt. And he's going. He's going to be in the hospital for a little bit, but he's okay. He'll be home eventually. He just got to get some some booze fixed up, and he'll be good to go. Um, now, you know, when kid, I saw kids him, are, kids are tougher and more resilient than we give them credit for. They are. They are. Um, and they're more and perceptive I, than we realize mm-hmm. too. Sometimes they will ask questions like, "What did you know?" I mean, I don't know if he got to that point if he just accepted what she said or if he actually, you know, followed later up on, on he and I. Later on, I had I had a conversation with him and. Um, and I'll tell you about that, but at this point they, they, they bring him in and I get to see him for the first time. And now I'm laying, you know, I'm laying on the stretcher. Uh, both my hands are bandaged up. They look like boxing gloves. I have like, uh, my, my right thumb has like, uh, there's external fixators, like those metal pins that stick out of your bone, they drum on your bone and they stick up. So I had that in my right hand. Um, and then my legs all, you know, wrapped up and you know, I look like crap. Um, so he comes in and then, I'm crying uncontrollably because I'm seeing him and he didn't say anything. He just, he was just kind of ghost face because he was so confused and probably, probably scared, you know? Um, so he didn't really say anything. I just squeezed him for, I don't know how long felt like, felt like forever. Um, then they wheeled me out, loaded me up in an ambulance for a transport. And I asked if my wife and my son could, could at least ride with me on the ride to the uh, next facility. And they said, yeah, um, which ended up being great. Because now I can spend some time with him, relax a little bit, get him to laugh a little bit, and that's what I did. Um, kind of eased him in a little bit, like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm fine, I'm good. I got these funny mittens on, you know, everything's good." Um, and that was that was fun. Um, now I'm on the transport to the next facility, which was odd. Um, I'm in the back of this ambulance, and um, it's a procession. You know, we got. Car, police cars all lit up with lights and, you know, other, other vehicles trailing behind. And I'm at the front of it so I can see everything out the back windows of the ambulance. And I remember laying there looking out the back window thinking, if I had died, this is what it would still look like. But I would be in a hearse, hearse instead of the ambulance. Yeah. Yep. I remember thinking that. And I remember thinking, like, It'd be just like this, and everyone would the day they would drop me off to wherever more guy was going to, and everybody would go on about their day, except for my family. You know what I mean? Um, I remember thinking about that. I still think about that sometimes. You know, it was, it was tough because, like, you know, as a police officer, you know, I've been in those processions for that. You know, they suck. I know. Yes, they suck. And now I'm in one, and I'm a, I'm alive. So you kind of get, you kind of get. That's kind of where I started getting a little bit of that survivor's guilt. You know. Um, you start to, you start to feel that a little bit. Um, but we, so we get, they get me down here to this next facility. Um, it's at, and it's, it's dark. It's at night. It's probably like seven, seven thirty or something like that. Again, same round same, same time. Um, and you know, everybody's out there in the parking lot. They unload me, take me into this rehab facility. Like I think I was like on the second or third floor. Um, now they weren't going to let, visitors didn't see me because again it's covid right 
Um, but they did say your wife can come up here as much as she wants every day between visiting hours, which is eight to eight. They're like, but we can't let anybody else up. Of course, I still had guys sneaking up in there, but um, <laughs> how were they sneaking that. up? Were they disguising themselves as doctors or nurses or strippers? Man, I mean, I, how were they had, getting in there? I have one friend of mine. He works for another agency, and uh, he came in. And he's a detective, so he came in there one day while I was working his, in, his, in his suit, and he took like a steno pad with him and came in and said, "He, he said I got to go up and interview him." They're like, "Oh, okay." So he came up, he didn't interview me. had nothing to do with it. So, you know, we kind of uh, look at those rules as suggestions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I had uh, another guy, the guy that was on the task force with me that wasn't there that night because he was doing, he was doing an extradition um, assignment. He came in one night, he came in on, it was Christmas or Christmas Eve. I think it was Christmas. I can't remember, but he came in and nobody was at the front desk. So he just slid on by and came up to my room for like an hour. That was cool. So a lot of stuff, stuff like that happened. Um, but they get me up there to my room and the initial check-in and then uh, my wife's with me. My son didn't come in. He's outside, I think, with my parents. Um, so I said goodbye to him. And then um, went up to my room, my wife, and I got the staff, um, like the administrative staff there to welcome me. <laughs> um, put me in my room. I got a room by myself, thankfully. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about 8 o'clock now, so my wife's got to go. Um, so she says goodbye. And now I'm in this room by myself and you know it's like a hotel room it's like you know it's you pull the shades down it's pitch black you know it's like being back at dewey beach again working midnight there's just nothing going on right nothing going on nothing going on right and now uh, i'm in this room by myself and this is you know this is seven days post-shooting and you got time to really start thinking about things now don't you this is the first time I've, i've i've had time to myself to actually sit and focus on what actually happened to me, you know, and I do that all night. I don't, I don't think I slept the fucking wink. Um, I laid there thinking about, you know, like, Hey, where, where is everybody? What's next? What's this going to be like? Am I going to be a burden? Those things start setting in on you because you have nothing else to do besides think about it now, you know, and I have a week worth of shit, you know, coming out of me now. Were you second guessing yourself too, in terms of tactics or what you did or how you did it? Not yet. Not yet. I did eventually. Um, and I came to grasp of that. And, I, and we'll talk about that later, too, if you want. Um, so I'm getting through this night and uh, the morning comes and it's about six o'clock. Door opens up and I see the light from the hallway coming in. The door is an in-swing door. So you, uh, the door swings in. You can see see the door there, you know. And I remember the light coming, shining in. And I was thinking, man, this is this is going to be fucking brutal. Like, how am I going to get through this shit every night for however long I'm going to be here? You know, um, my wife comes up that morning and to see me and I was like, I got, I got, I got to make some moves. I got, I got to do something like, uh, now that I had already been told, like I had asked you like, well, how, how serious is this? What are my injuries like? And all that kind of stuff. What's, what's recovery for this? And, um, like I said, I'm a pretty active person. So they told me, um, 12 to 18 months before I can consider trying to run again, like even trying it, like starting out trying to run again. Like it's a, it's a lengthy process. It's a really bad injury and you broke your femur, like the worst we've ever seen it broken. Like it's bad. Like, okay. So that's hearing that was really hard for me. Um, cause my life revolves around, around a lot of that stuff, you know? Um, so I told my wife, I said, Hey, I, I, I need you to go grab some poster board. And a marker. She's like, okay. 
<clears throat> so she goes finds marker and poster board. And now my hands are jacked up, so I can't write real good, but I take the marker and I stick it kind of like in my wrapping in my hand so I can write the best that I can. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this sign. And I'm going to put this sign on the door for two reasons. And I'll, I'll tell you the reasons in a minute, but the sign says on top, it says, notice, it says to all who make entry here, you must enter with hardened minds and a strong ethos. I'm not here to get back to where I was. I'm here to be better than I was. And I will surround myself with like-minded people. Do not enter with dejection or disdain, sadness or empathy, anger or fear, or you will be turned away. I received these injuries doing a job that I love for the people and the community that I love. And I received them alongside my brothers who I will join again soon. And I stuck a patch on there. I stuck my agency patch and I stuck a marshal's patch on it and I signed it. With your broken hands, how long did it take you to write that? Uh, it took a while. I think I went through a couple drafts of it. <laughs> I think I went through a couple drafts of it. Man. And where did the inspiration for that statement come from? I mean, was that something you thought about and worked on, you know, during the night? Or so, five years prior to this, um, I went to a speaking event, and it was um, put on by Marcus Futrell from Lone Survivor. Uh, and he had some other speakers there who, and I didn't know who, who these people were. Like um, David Goggins was there, who's very popular now, but back then nobody knew who he was. You can't break uh, me. Was, his self-published book, yeah. Correct. Yes, and this is way before that. Um, and there was another guy there named Jason Redman. I don't know if you're familiar with Jason Redman or not. So for those of you listening, he's a Navy SEAL that was injured um, in, in Iraq, I believe. Some pretty serious injuries, worse than mine. Um, so I read his book. I, 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 I found him then, bought his book, read it. And, I, and when I woke up in the hospital, that door opened up. I thought back to five years ago reading that book and how he made his sign on the door. And I thought, man, like, that's a great fucking idea, you know? Um, so that's where it came from. Uh, so I did it um, in my own words. I didn't copy his. I put my own words on it. Um, and I actually reached out to him um, that night. Um, I had my phone and I was able to like type with like one finger. I was going to say, man, <laughs> yeah. you're taking an hour to craft like one uh, message. Yeah. Now you I'm like, well, I was, do. doing a, I was doing a lot of like talk to text too. So I was doing that. Um, so I, I found him on, I found him on Instagram and, um, I sent him a message on there. Like, this is who I am. This is what happened to me. And I hope you don't mind, but, um, I stole your sign idea and I sent him a picture of it. Um, and it was like two minutes, like, boom, he responded to me. Um, he thought it was great. And we communicated for a while after that. And every once in a blue moon, I'll, 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 um, reach out to him for some advice or something like that. But, um, great human being, but that's where, it, um, that's where it came from. It came from, came from, came from him. Um, and that sign, uh, pretty much paved the way. And the reason I did it was there was two reasons. One, I wanted it on there for what it said. I wanted people to come in that room with the right mindset. I didn't want nurses coming in there, throwing me a pity party. Um, I wanted people to come in there with a smile on their face and enjoying their day. Cause I was going to enjoy mine. You know, that's what I wanted. And I also wanted to see that sign every morning and read it every morning and know that if I didn't live my day by the words on that sign, then I was just a fucking hypocrite. And that was the last thing I wanted to be was a hypocrite. Um, and it worked, 
you know, I, I live my day by that sign. I still have it. I have it hanging up here in my office. Um, and it worked for me. Um, and then rehab started. We had, uh, two one hour sessions a day. Um, now again, I've said this numerous times and I'll keep saying it, look for work, right? So I have two one hour, two one hour sessions a day. Well, there's 24 hours in a day. So you, you think I'm just going to sit in my room for 22 hours? No, that's not going to happen. So I started doing stuff in my own in my room. Um, I got called a couple times, like, you know, trying to, I had to do simple stuff like, you know, sit on the end, of, sit on the edge of the bed and stand up and sit down. You know, like I had to do simple stuff like that because my leg was, um, you know, pretty, it was frozen up from surgery still. Um, so I did a lot of stuff like that. I would get with the walker, walk around the room. I would find things in the room laying around. I would tinker with my hands with them, try to get my hands moving as much as I could at night. Um, after dinner, I would call the nurse's station and, and ask for a nurse to come down to take me out to the hallway for a walk so I could get moving before bed. Um, so I was always looking for work because, you know, I, they set a standard for you, right? This is the standard. You know, this is the standard. But I didn't, I didn't want to meet their standard. I wanted to be the standard. You know, I wanted people to say, well, well TJ Webb does this. Like, that's where we need to be. You know what I mean? I wanted to be the standard. And that was my job. That was my goal because failure wasn't an option. Because if I failed at getting my life back, then I failed my family. And I wasn't going to do that. Um, so I started um, I started this mindset that I called it just one more mindset. Right? So everything I did was just one more. It was one more repetition, one more round, one more mile. Everything was one more. If they gave me something to do five times, I did it six, seven times. You know, what I mean, I always every day I would add more to it and do more and more. And that's kind of that's kind of how it went. And it, w- it went like that through rehab in there. And it went like that through rehab when I got home. Um, one of the now one of the goals I had to set goals. I had long term goals that I wanted. I wanted to get my life back. I wanted to run. I wanted to CrossFit again. Um, but the nearest one was I made the decision that, you know, they gave me 12 to 18 months before I can consider starting to run again. Well, I thought that was bullshit. So I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run a half marathon this year. So I signed up for a half marathon. This is in, De- this is in December. I signed up for a half marathon. That was the following uh, November, which would be at 11 months. You are seriously poking the bear there, brother. Yeah. Yeah. I was poking it pretty freaking hard. <laughs> yeah. But the, but the freaking optimism is what keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I got to have goals. And that was a long-term goal, but I need short-term goals before I get there. And the short-term goals were what I was just saying, you know, like doing the one more, you know, instead of walking to this door today, I'm going to walk into that door. Instead of walking here, I'm walking to the nurse's station, you know, um, things like that. So the small goals started adding up. And next thing you know, I'm knocking off bigger ones, you know. And the next, the next, the closest goal I had was I wanted to walk out of there. Um, their, their goal was to get me out of there on a walker. They're like, we're, our, our goal is to get you up and get you out of here that you can, you can leave on a walker. Well, I didn't want to leave on a walker. I wanted to leave on my own two feet without any assistance. Okay. And I had great physical therapists there. Um, How painful was the physical therapy when you first started doing it? I mean, you talk, I know the injury to your leg was very painful. How was the PT? Uh, initially in there, uh, it's just as bad as, 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 as the gunshot. Um, basically, uh, your leg, I mean, your legs froze. They cut through your bone. They cut through your muscle. They cut through your tendons. They cut through all that shit. And then they put it all back together again. Um, so it's locked up. I mean, my, my knee doesn't bend, you know, 
So that's so basically the most painful part of, of the of the therapy was they would take me in this room and lay me on this bed on my back, and they would pick my leg up and just kind of like try to bend my knee as much as possible to break it up. Um, and like I said, I had great physical therapists to the point where you know I, I would be in there screaming and crying like you know, uncontrollably. Um, and I would tell them to keep going, just keep going. And they would do it. And there would be some times where they couldn't do it. Like they would, the, my, the pain that I was in, they couldn't bear it. They couldn't bear, bear being around it. So there was a few times where they had to take breaks uh, and, leave, and leave the room and give themselves a minute to get to gather themselves to come back and, and do more. Um, but that's where I was at. I, I was on a mission. I wasn't going to let this beat me. You know, I, I, I already made the decision that, you know, this piece of shit didn't beat me in that parking lot and he was not going to, he was not going to beat me in my own home for the days going forward in my life. It was not going to happen. Hey, DJ, kind of a broader overall question is where did your mindset come from? I mean, you grew up work, I mean, seasonal officer, you, you, by your own admission, you're just dealing with drunks. The, the closest thing you had to excitement was being mistaken for a stripper, you know, work in small towns. And, and I know some of it comes from SWAT, but like you said to your thing, you're only doing a couple things a month. Where did this mindset come from to enable you to th- view the problem that way and go, I'm putting a sign up. Here's what I'm doing. Um, you know where it all came from. I don't know. I can tell you what helped is, um, fitness, man. And like when I go out and, and go for runs and especially CrossFit, uh, I go in there and I just, murder myself like i push myself to the limits to try to make myself better you know whether it's you know and you know it's working out can be painful if you push yourself hard enough and i always, and I always tried to do that to the best of my ability so i think a lot of it came from putting myself through those sort of workouts on a regular basis i think a lot of it came from that i really do um like i said i didn't have like a really i, I didn't have like a really hard like upbringing i wasn't in like a bunch of fights as a kid to toughen me up or anything like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of came to me. I, and I, at the end of the day, I think a lot of it just came to, I was going to do what I had to do to get back to my family. You know, I, I wanted to go and play ball in the backyard with my son. I wanted to wake up on Sunday morning and go on those long runs with my wife that we always did. Like I wanted that back. Um, and I, and I think the desire and the want to, to have that um, is what pushed me to do that. My family, I always say to my my family is what saved my life because that's what gave me the mindset to get out of that park a lot, um, to get, to get my ass moving the cover. Um, so I think a lot of it's that it's just a combination of, of, of pushing myself with fitness and, you know, having the family that I have. But by this point, but at what point from the time you went in till the time you started kind of knowing what was going on, when did you find out exactly what happened with this POS? What happened with your two uh, partners? You know, what happened? When when did they finally brief you on that? So that surgery Friday, Saturday, I came out of it. And Saturday, um, I came out of it. And my, my I had three questions when I came out of it. The first three questions were, is he dead? Did I put holes in him? Can I have some bourbon? Because I'm a big bourbon guy. Hard ass to the end, right? <laughs> and the, and the, yeah, and the answers were yes, yes, no. Um, <laughs> I could have predicted that one. But, yeah, but the cool, the yeah, it's kind of you know jump off here a little bit. But the cool thing was like that got out, and everybody I knew in Perfect Strangers started buying bourbon for me. And next thing you know, I have like a hundred bottles of bourbon 
at my house waiting for me when I get home. And my wife's freaking out. She's like, oh my God, he's gonna, he's, he just went through all this stuff. He's going to be an alcoholic. And we're finding <laughs> we, alcohol. Saw, we solved one problem yeah, and now we have another. Yeah. Right, you got, exactly. You got so much, you're going to so, have to get your own liquor license there. I'm telling you, man, I got a whole, I mean, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a new house now, you know, two, over two years later, I still have like 80 bottles of bourbon sitting around. I'm like, God, man, it's crazy. I'll never buy bourbon again. <laughs> um, it's great. But, um, and the other cool thing was when I was in the ICU, um, an officer from another agency came up to see me, um, who he, he had been in the shooting before. Um, so, um, someone recommended he come up and, and see me. Um, and when he came up, he brought me a one of those little mini airplane bottles of Maker's Mark whiskey. Uh, he was like, he was like, you could do what you want with it, but I, I heard you like, I heard you like whiskey. Um, so I still have that bottle. I never opened it. I still have it. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So from from beginning to end, how long was it before you made it out of the hospital? So I was there for thir- or from the hospital ICU for rehab. I was there thirteen days. And then you go into the 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 aftercare, right? The the recovery facility. How long are you in there before you walk out? Uh, so I was at the live-in rehab thirteen days. On the thirteenth day, it, it came time to leave. Okay. And now I'd said I had goals. My goal was I wanted to walk out of this place. Um, and I had people doing now that my house that I was staying at that time with my in-laws in. They live at the beach. Their house is up on stilts, you know? Yeah, you aren't getting up those steps right now, are you? Uh, they didn't think so. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so people start people start setting stuff up. Um, um, my, one, my one really good friend of mine um, had somebody donate, he, that wanted to donate one of those lifts, you know? Like you see on stairs, go buzz on up. And I'm like, man, I'm not having that. Like, you know, I, 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 don't, I was like, I, I only, I, you know, I, I want, I wanted to walk out of this hospital, but I want to walk up these steps on my, under my own power. And if I, if I have some chairlift there, I got something to fall back on. I don't want anything to fall back. That's on. worse than a man bun at this point. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. I can shoot me in a commercial or something, you know, man, how many steps you're on the little many... rascal doing a commercial for the little rascal and driving around in your car. <laughs> how, how many steps from the ground to get into the house? Uh, it's like 12 or 15 feet. Yeah. Cause so usually those houses are pretty high up. Yeah. Yeah. It's 12 or 15 feet off the ground. So it's, it's, a lot of, it's quite a few steps. Um, um, so my goal was, I didn't want to get that jazz. So the, the, uh, so I, I, I declined it, so I didn't get it. Um, so the get, the day came to leave and they, they came in to, to you know, what, to get me out and they, they brought in a wheelchair and I was like, I, I I don't want a wheelchair. I told you I'm going to walk out of here. They're like, yeah, we're going to wheel you down and you can walk out from the entrance. I was like, negative. I'm walking out of my room to the elevator, taking it down, and I'm walking out on my own without any assistance. So this went around for a few minutes, like negotiating how this is going to happen. Um, so we kind of, we finally came to an agreement where I could walk out. They were going to let me try to walk out, but someone had to walk behind me with a wheelchair. And someone had to walk in front of me with a walker. And I said, that's fine, but no one touches me. If I fall, no one touches me. I'm dealing with it. And they agreed. But I'm sure if I fell, they would have probably done something. But um, nobody. So I started walking, walked down the hallway, took the elevator down, and I walked out under my own power. Um, my wife was there waiting for me, along with we had another procession to take me home. And uh, they loaded me up and got in my wife's car, and off we went. And I remember coming down route one in Delaware, um, it's a bunch of overpasses, um, flight, you know, different exits and stuff. 
And um, I remember seeing families on the side of the highway having picnics. I remember seeing everybody on the river passes with flags, waving flags. And my wife and I were just crying because it's very emotional, obviously. Um, these are total strangers. A lot of these total are total strangers. strangers. Total strangers um, out there supporting me. Um, and then it got to the point where we were like, every overpass we got to, we would start crying again. And then it got, it was so, it was so regular. We started laughing and we just laughed the rest of the whole drive home about it. And we would cry and laugh. It was, it was awesome. Um, and we get home and uh, my family's there. My, you know, my parents are there, her parents are there, um, my son. Um, and I walked up those steps. How long did it take you? Um, not as long as you would probably think. I mean, a couple minutes, maybe a minute or two. Um, no, um, but I did it. You know, my wife walked behind me in case I, in case I fell or something, but I made it up those steps, man. Was it painful at that point or was it more just movement, you know, of your legs and everything? Nah, it was still painful. I mean, it wasn't as bad because they had, you know, they had me on a lot of, a lot of, pain, a lot of painkillers, obviously. But um, but yeah, it's which still, it's don't still mix hurt. that with your whiskey. Now there's a pro tip. No, now I will, I will say, I, my my father in law uh, had 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 one glass of bourbon waiting for me. I think I drank like three sips out of it, and I was done. Um, but it, but it tasted fucking amazing. Yeah, it was great. Uh, two things I want to ask you about. One, so you were able to walk out of the hospital to your car. Why didn't you drive home? Why did you have your wife drive you, man? What's going right, on? You know, what the hell? They, they, they could have like tied my hands to their steering wheel or something. Yeah, you know what I mean? The hell? Yeah. And the other thing is, okay, so you next, guys next time. <laughs> you guys are driving home, your wife's driving. Did it ever enter either of your minds that, you know, we got all these cops following us? Hit the gas. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, go a little faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are they gonna up. do? <laughs> right, yeah. I, I want to ask yeah. you though, go back to that for a second, because I said you know, and the reason I want to talk about this, we we talked a little bit about this. We try not to be political or preachy, but it's kind of heartening to see when so much of this talk is going around around defund the police is that you're driving home and you've got people who stop, take time out of their day. They don't know you. They just know of you. Um, and they stop and honor you that way. I mean, that's it. it has to be heartwarming to at least think there are still some people out there who appreciate the work of what law enforcement, our first responders do on a daily basis. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, because you, you got to remember, this is you know the end of 2020, so we're coming out of you know all the Minneapolis and yeah, George Floyd and everything. Yeah, we're just we're just getting through all that stuff, all that the real startup of all the negativity with with law enforcement. Um, so to have that that outpour of support from the community like that, man, it was it was amazing. I mean, even when I got home, like I was getting cards in the mail, you know, from people I didn't know. I mean, they were getting mailed to like the police department, but. I was getting cards from people I didn't even know. I mean, it was I mean, from different states. I was getting stuff. I mean, it was it was insane. You know, it just shows you it just shows you that, you know, the majority of people here in the United States are pro law enforcement. I believe that. Yeah. They're hardworking. They're honest. You know, they pay their taxes. They're just trying to get along in life and they appreciate what the law enforcement professionals do. But yet we've got this, you know, this majority. I mean, this minority, ma- a massive minority that goes out there and preaches this bullshit rhetoric. You know, defund the police. It's it just, I love it, and I love, the, I love the law enforcement culture. The fact that your true, your buddies are out there with you. You know, yeah. they set up a gauntlet for you. I watched all this on videos and stuff, saw the pictures and everything. And in fact, well, the, problem, I, the problem is, the problem is, we lack support where where it really matters, and that's with our politicians and our law enforcement leaders in certain positions. I mean, that's where the support really needs to turn around 
and do something because um, that, that that's what's hurt yeah, us. Yeah, they're they're a little bit wishy washy. They 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 kind of sway to wherever they think they can get the popular vote, which just ticks you off even more. Right. Well, that's as we've really seen, they've gone to one extreme. Now they've come back to the other because when you see your homicide rates go up and stuff. Hey, but I have to ask you about all the cards that you got. Were any of them maybe from six or seven Russian waitresses or bartenders going, I'm going to have good to see you again? Uh, if they were, my wife might have plucked those out of there. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. Those yeah. got burned. Hey, but, but, <laughs> Probably. But let's talk a little bit, too. I want to talk about the impact, uh, not just on you, but uh, how you dealt with it with your wife. Because first of all, I mean, God bless her for standing, you know, being oh, there yeah. for you and doing stuff. And then your son. How has your son handled uh, – how did he handle it and how is he handling it now? I mean, because at some point he's got to realize it's more than daddy got a boo-boo. I mean, this is some real serious stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, he never really had any major problems with it. I mean, he it got to a point where I would, I would say after a month I was home maybe, uh, give or take. Um, he, he, You know, he, he could hear things. So people were coming to visit me and he's in the house so he can hear conversations and stuff. Um, so I had a conversation with him, like, this is what happened you know, on a level that he could understand. <laughs> and, you know, and I showed him, um, I showed him my, my wounds, you know, um, they weren't like, they weren't at this point, you know, they weren't graphic or anything. They were just, you know, little bandages on me. You know, I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Little scars, basically. Um, I showed him like, Hey, this was, you know, this bullet went here and this one went here and it came out here like, and I'm okay. And, you know, my hands are getting better now and I can walk and I'm home and, his biggest his biggest concern was me going back to police work. Um, he never wanted me to go back to police work. He wanted me to to find something else. Um, and so, for the two years after that, um, that was pretty much his weekly question: Do you know if you're going back to work yet? Do you know if you're going back to work yet? Um, so, um, back in September of 2022, when I finally found out I, I wasn't going to be cleared to go back. Um, I told him and he was, you know, he was happy, but he was happy with it. And I was happy with it. Cause you know, it's, it wasn't my decision to make. It was a medical decision to make. And yeah, I'm glad I didn't have, I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision. Um, cause that'd have been tough. Cause you know, if, you know, it's, I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back and I wanted to go back doing the same thing I was doing with the guys I was doing it with. Like, that's what I love to do. And that's what you wanted to do. But in the back of your mind, when you put that, it's kind of like the canine thing, right? You knew it was time to move on. You know, it was the right decision. It's time Even to though move you, on. Yeah. But yeah, that still had on. to, I mean, that still had to, um, that had to have a huge impact on you because like you said, this is what you've been doing for 18 years. This is what you obviously, even though you said, uh, college wasn't for you and you were majoring in criminal justice, yeah. obviously criminal justice, you were born to do this brother. So, I mean, that had to mm -hmm. be something that got in, you had to come to terms with. Yeah. It means, um, you know, it's, I was, if, 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 the, if the decision was given me, I probably would have went back just for the sake of him, you know? Um, and it's tough, you know. You you spent your whole life doing this. Your entire, literally, my entire adult adult life was in law enforcement, and now it's like, um, hey, you can't come back to law enforcement. Go find something else to do. Um, and that's something you hear a lot with military, like the transition phase with military. But people don't think about it for first responders. I mean, it's not far off from the military. I mean, you live your life a certain way doing certain things. Where work is always now, there for you. You show up at something new every day and then mm -hmm. you transition out yeah. and it's kind of like, uh, that's, that's a huge issue with people out of the military or even government, um, you know, who were used to things a certain way. Then you go into the private sector and it's like, it's a whole different mindset that you have to have. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, that's something that I'm, I'm doing now. You know, I'm, you know, I have, I'm very fortunate. Um, I have some, some great job opportunities. Um, but there's just there's things I'm not interested with. You know, if, if I'm not in law enforcement, 
then I'm either all in or I'm all out. You know what I mean? I don't want to take a job where I'm Monday through Friday at a desk, you know, typing Excel sheets or something like that. Um, cause that's just, that's not me. You know, that's not me. Well, you had, you had, uh, up to that shooting, you had every day of an adrenaline rush and sometimes multiple times the same day. Right. And I know I'm not going to get that back. Like those days are, are done and you know, I'm, that's, it is what it is. But, um, well, no, let me you ask know, you this. Uh, you stand up in front of an audience. Do you get a little nervous? Oh, every time, you know, yeah, that's, that's called what, adrenaline. That's, that's your what, adrenaline. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. So, you know, I'm working that's, you know, to, to, to jump ahead and in, into that, you know, that's, that's what I'm working on now. Um, you know, doing some public speaking and, um, you know, I wrote a book, so we're waiting for the book to come out. Are you um, allowed to say the May. title yet? Just one more. I was going to say, if you didn't, I was going to. <laughs> Just one more. Hey, let's stop here for a second, because I want to revisit something real quick before we close out, because I want to talk about the way the media covered this a little bit compared to what the facts were. Uh, and I, I was telling you guys this at the beginning. I mean, I pulled up an AP article, and you know, and the one thing they said against an attempted murder suspect, they go down and they say he was wanted in connection with the fight in Reading, Pennsylvania. Well, let me read out of the official... Um, Delaware uh, Department of Criminal Justice, the uh, Department of Justice report. This piece of shit was one fight for us. Yeah. He was wanted for attempted murder charge involving his use of a handgun toward his brother after a disagreement at a party in Reading. The involved officers were aware he had a significant criminal history, including convictions for weapon offenses, aggravated assault, drugs, and domestic violence. He was on parole at the time of the attempted murder and was listed as an absconder by the Pennsylvania Parole Board. To avoid apprehension, he fled to Rehoboth Beach with his girlfriend, and they were staying at the Econo Lodge. This guy was not a fucking upstanding member of society. And and to portray it, even though they kind of, at first they say it attempted homicide, but say he was wanted for a fight. Are you kidding me? That's 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 like saying Adolf Hitler was wanted for, uh, you know, uh, manslaughter. Right, yeah. yeah. And he's willing to I kill never, his I own never, brother. I never, uh... I never read. I never read the report, so I never knew that. But yeah, that's, that's well, interesting. We do our homework on you before you come on, dude. You can't yeah. get away with this shit. I, I already knew about the strippers too. I just wanted to see if you're going to be honest yeah, right, about right. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And don't waste yeah. your time reading that report because it, it, it's just yeah, no. yeah. But yeah, it's not worth it. it, it. Well, but the thing is, is that what I what I thought was really disingenuous. It's like, was there any fucking doubt about this? And so here's what it is. Here's the final paragraph, and this just kind of irks me. Upon careful consideration of the available evidence and the application of expert opinion to that evidence, Corporal Timothy Webb, Corporal Josh DiGiacomo, uh, and Probation <laughs> Officer George – say that really fast after you've been drinking. Not that I've been drinking, but I know you have with 80 bottles left to go. Are we down to you know how many bottles of whiskey on the wall? Recently believed that the use of deadly force upon the piece of shit was immediately necessary for the purposes of protecting themselves and others. For these reasons, the Department of Criminal Justice concludes that yes, the use of deadly force in this case does not constitute a criminal offense under the laws of the state of Delaware. I just want to take exception to something they say does not constitute a criminal offense. Why are we looking at it at that point? It should have been just viewed as a reasonable person was the use of force was reasonably justified as opposed to does not constitute a criminal offense. This is part of this genuflecting back to what, again, it goes back to, I'm sorry, I was on a quick rant here, but we're looking for ways to charge cops. I mean, that's, that's the feeling I got here. Well, we can't charge them criminally. How about there wasn't even an ounce of hint of criminality involved in this. The use of force was justified because the POS initiated it by sticking his gun out and firing at somebody who's a marked police officer in a marked car yelling, U.S. Marshals, you're under arrest, show me your hands. Case, you know, case closed. Yeah, I got I got cleared uh, after about 
four months or so. About four months, I got a call saying you're cleared, saying I was cleared. Four, it took four months? <laughs> yeah, four That's months. ridiculous. Yeah, I, four I, months. One other question, too. When So the night of the shooting, um, and I, I don't mean to say anything bad about your department, but why didn't they send somebody to your house? Yeah. Um, I, I, so what? I don't know. I don't know what. Yeah, they, they, I will say they kind of dropped the ball on that. Um, so what happened was, you know, it went from, it went to the dispatch center. It went to the on-duty shift sergeant. And then it went to the on-duty um, uh, administrator. And then it went to the chief. And then from the chief, it went all the way back down to another sergeant who wasn't even working, who was delegated the, the duty of notifying my wife. So it was just so much time loss in that process where it's like when it got up to the change of the chief, <clears throat> excuse me, the chief should have made it, made a fucking call. You know, you're the chief. Make, make a call. Don't pass it down to some You don't sergeant. delegate it down to an off-duty sergeant. No. Right. That's what happened. No, you, you send, you send a patrol officer immediately over to the house so she can, she can be on her way. And my wife knew that. And you know, the sergeant, um, that, that had, that had a notifier. I mean, he called the brunt of it from my, from my wife, which she later apologized to because she, she knew it wasn't his fault, but she, yeah, she let him have it. Um, well, you know, uh, and doing our research here, I saw a lot of photographs of you, and, and especially on uh, Instagram. And uh, and you got a copy of your letter on there, which, you know, we encourage everybody, you know, so show TJ some love here. Go on Instagram, start following him, um, send him some encouraging messages, check out. You see his beautiful wife, his beautiful son there. But the fact that your wife, and, and you would think this is normal, but it's not. The, the fact that your wife stood beside you and is still standing beside you. That doesn't always happen. I mean, I've, we've got a good friend that, that we've had on the show here that was shot in Afghanistan and, and is blind. And I mean, the truth of the story is his wife left him. You know, she couldn't deal with it. So, you know, you went through you went through the shit and everything you went through. But and, and I'm saying all this to, to bring attention to what your family goes through. You know, yep. her and your son, her parents, your parents. I don't know if you've got brothers and sisters, but the sacrifices they have to make because we get to do what we want to do. And that's being law enforcement. Yeah. I mean, that's something I always say, man, is, you know, everyone, I, everybody always wants to come to me and tell me how tough I am. And I'm, I'm a warrior and I'm this and that. I'm like, man, you ain't Meet met my, my fucking wife. wife. <laughs> yeah. You ain't met my fucking wife, brother. Yep. She's a fucking animal. Well, I have um, to ask you, we're going to ask you about what you're doing now, but I have to ask you, um, it was kind of like when my youngest was finally growing up and she moved out of the house. We've been empty nesters now for 14, 15 years. Um, she would go to college and we'd be saying, hey, honey, when are you coming home? And then after a while, when she's home, you go, hey, when are you going back? So has your <laughs> wife started asking you, when are you getting the hell out of the house? Uh, I think she's probably thinking that. Um, <laughs> but she's, she's been very, she's been pretty good with me. She, um, like I say, we're trying to get this public speaking thing going and stuff. So we're working on that. And um, But she works from home. So I'm actually using her office space right now. Um, but I have all my crap hanging up in the wall in her office. So what, yeah, What's that little statue over your right shoulder? Is that like an Iron Man uh, thing? Or? No, the one all yeah that the big one big is um. Turn around. The, uh, you got to turn around. Talk to us. We can't hear you. Yeah, sorry. That's the uh, the big one. There is the uh, Iron Warrior Award. That's from the uh, NCEA, National Criminal Criminal Enforcement Association. Um, they gave me that after the shooting. The one in the middle is uh, Officer of the Year from Melford, and then the one all the way to the on the other end is um from Top Cop, uh, Napo Top Cop. I got that. At uh, Police Week last year in DC, yeah, sweet, yeah. A couple of my, did you run into Dave Smith or Betsy Brantner Smith? I can't remember. Yeah, you probably. I can tell you, I, I can tell you, it's a phenomenal event. Oh, yeah. Like phenomenal, uh, amazing, amazing event. 
they do an awesome job of that. Well, you what? know, there was, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, the first year of COVID, I got a call and, and was was going to be honored to be one of the uh, police officers that got to read the, read the names. And it's, and COVID came. And so I didn't get to do it. I, I can't think of a, a better honor, but I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure I would have gotten through it because, hell, I'm sitting here listening to your story choking up. I know if I got up there, I'd been, I'd been bawling like a baby. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I got, I mean, there was like 900 people at, at this, at this thing. And I got up on stage and said a little thank you. And it, it was tough just to do that, just to say a thank you up there. But, um, really, really, um, really, really fascinating event, man. It was. And, and I, so how much of that recognition that you got after this, did you ask for? I didn't ask for anything. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like a lot of, a lot of, uh, publicity and all that kind of stuff, which is, which is strange because now it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do speaking and, I, and I'm, running, I'm writing a book. So it's kind of like, you're going to need the publicity, well, but, but it's once how you the go about start, getting Once it. the checks come in, you'll yeah. realize, yeah, you do. <laughs> <want that. laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Give me more. Give me more. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but there's a little bit difference though, too, is that you paid your dues on this one, uh, okay. my man. You know, it's like you have the, you have earned the right to go out and ask for fair, to be fairly compensated for everything you went through to tell your story. And it's not, it's not a knock. We have people, you need to be out there sharing your story and speaking to that. Let's talk about what's next, what's coming now, because- you were medically retired, so you you basically you're able to get a pension, uh, medical pension, um, but you're now building your business. So, first of all, where can people find you? People want to go out and find about TJ Webb, which, by the way, that's deceiving because Jay is junior. It should it should be T Web J, <laughs> but we'll go with TJ Webb. <laughs> yeah. These are you know. Yeah, yeah. So you can find me. Uh, you can find me on my website is uh, thetjweb.com. Thetjweb.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at, at the TJ web LinkedIn, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn under TJ web, Facebook's TJ web. Um, but yeah, Instagram is what I'm on a lot. And, uh, and my website, you can, you can want to contact me on Instagram or my, on my website. It's the best ways to get a hold of me. Yeah. And what's your website? The TJ web.com. Now, but you started a company also, didn't you? Yeah, so uh, we started an LLC. It's called Three Ethos LLC, and that's where my speaking falls under. That's the number three ethos, E-T-H-O-S. Correct, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, thetjweb.com is where you can find me for uh, more information or anything you need or speaking engagements. Get all your contacts. So uh, that's the other thing, too. We, we encourage you guys that you folks are looking out there. There's nothing more, um, to me, more humbling than to hear get somebody up on stage that's gone through what you've gone through and you've got the attitude you do. A lot of people could become better. Look, my biggest concern with some of the folks that I've worked with that have been involved in stuff is that there was a couple times people is like, they were wanting to talk themselves into dying. It's like, fucking knock that shit off. Mm -hmm. You know, no. it's the, having that warrior mindset is not something you got to have it. It's like your point. It's like, you did what you need to do. You're, you're, you didn't crawl off to die. You said, I'm going to, if the guy's going to shoot me, I'm going to make it hard. I'm going to be a hard target. He's going to have to shoot through a vehicle and everything else. I mean, your recovery and everything else, everything was designed to get back to where you were before there was none of this. Oh, I'm just going to curl up in a ball and surrender and call it a day. No, you know, I've, I've, I try to keep that, um, you know, I, I'm not a victim, you know, um, and I'm not taking away from, from true victims of, of true crimes. I'm saying at me, I don't see myself as a victim. I, I, I did a job. I got injured during a job that I love to do that runs a risk of that happening. You know what I mean? Um, and if I had to go back and do it again, I'd do it again. Cause that's what I was paid to do. And that's what I love to do. So I don't, I don't, have pity for myself. I don't feel bad for myself. It happened. 
uh, I'm, I'm getting over it now. We're getting through it. And I'm, I'm still here to, to talk about it. So um, it never regrets. Now, uh, did you also start something uh, Fit for Duty Foundation? Yeah. So my wife and I started a nonprofit last year. It's called Fit for Duty Foundation. Um, fit for Duty Foundation dot org. Um, four as in the number four, Fit for Duty Foundation. Um, so what we do is uh, we encourage physical fitness and mental health for for law enforcement. And we do that by um, paying three months membership for an officer who wants to start their journey in CrossFit to better their health. Um, for me, that's where I get all my mental health from really is from the gym. I go to the gym every day and I put everything I have into it and beat myself silly. And that's, that's where I, that's where I get release everything I need to release. Um, and I love it. And I love, I love the family that I have there in that gym. And, um, I, I think it's important. I can't stress enough how important it is for cops to live a healthy life. And it, it's hard on shift work. I mean, we all know that we're in shift work. It is not easy to do it. Um, eating habits are hard. Just are hard the to food maintain. alone. That's what I was about to say. Just yeah. the eating habits yeah. alone. It's not easy. Um, but if you can find 20 minutes, you know, just change your diet a little bit. You know, you don't have to do everything at once. Change it up a little here and there. And, you know, just find 20 minutes in your day to go do something. You know, to go for a walk, do some push-ups, some sit-ups. You know, 20 minutes is all you need to get your body moving. You know, even on patrol, you're working 12-hour shifts. You're riding around all night. Get out and do your building checks. Everyone hates doing building checks, but it gets you out of the car, gets you moving, and, you know, keeps you from getting stagnant in there. Because you could, you could be sitting in that cruiser for six hours, and then all of a sudden you, you get in a life or death situation where you're chasing somebody or, you know, and that's not good for your body. No, you jump out of there and chase a bad guy after you've been sitting in a car for six, eight hours, and you pull a hamstring and down you go, you know? I mean, um, you got you got to keep yourself ready. You got to be ready at all times. So, you know, or it something as silly as... Guys our age, me and Merce age, we say, I got to pee first. Hold on. <laughs> I got to go pee. You, don't go yeah. anywhere. I'll be right yeah. back with you. Yeah. Um, uh, that resembles yeah, the truth. It's, 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 it's important. And then, you know, to, to back up to back up a little bit, um, you know, one of my goals was, and this, this is a fitness part, you know, one of my goals was to run a half marathon within a year. Well, that 11 months came and I ran the half marathon. Yeah, baby. Um, and I didn't just run it. I ran the fastest half marathon that I had ever run in my entire life. <laughs> Um, two weeks later, uh, I was like, you know what? I wouldn't mind doing another one. So I ran another one two weeks later, ran that one even faster. Wow. Um, and then, uh, at, at, at the 18 months, so what you were telling us is that when, before you were injured, you were slacking off. That's what you I were was doing. slacking off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely pushed myself a lot harder now. And, um, when, when I got to the 18 month mark, which was what the, they said, 12 to 18 months, um, I had, I had done those, I had done some other races and then. At the 18 month mark, I did a half Ironman. It was 70 miles, so I did that. 70.3, oh baby. Gosh, oh 70.3 swim, bike, run. Yeah, so um, so you can do it. I mean, you know, that's why I tell everybody. You know, I'm not I'm not superhuman. I'm not some super cop. Like I'm just like everyone else that goes out there wears that uniform. I just gathered the right mindset that I needed to get through it. Um, and anybody, anybody, we can all do that. It's not it's not impossible. You can all do it. I like what right, they so, say about the triathlons. They say it's swim to go, bike to for show, and run for dough. I mean, you got to get yeah. all, you gotta get all <laughs> yeah. three in there. Yeah, they're so, tough, man. They're tough. Wait, I mean, let's just put it out there now. So a lot of our listeners are law enforcement and military. And if you're looking, you're, everybody's looking for speakers for conferences, especially law enforcement conferences. But we also have a lot of folks that work in corporations. You're looking for a, a motivational speaker. You just heard his freaking story. I mean – what better speaker to bring in? I mean, there's a lot of guys with stories out there, but how many people do you know that have been shot six times, survived, didn't feel sorry for themselves, walked out of the rehab center, and in less than a year ran a freaking half marathon? 
So, you know, we get calls from uh, corporate, you know, we've Javier and I have been doing the speaking thing for quite a while now. But, and so that's how we know what the audience availability yep. is out there. Show this guy some love on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's fantastic because there's a lot of corporate yep. uh, contacts in there. We're going to promote you on all of those when, when we post your interview here. Um, help this guy get started, man. He earned the right to do what he wants to do now. So step in. Don't send him a bottle of bourbon. He's got enough of that shit. Yeah, I was going to say he comes home from the gym and drinks a bottle of bourbon. (laughs) So you got 79 more workouts to go to, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the other thing. (laughs) Don't call him expecting him to do it for free. You got to pony up. He needs expense money and he needs money to feed his family. So do the the right thing here. Give us guys a Traveling around ain't cheap. No, it's not. Well, hey, let's... So, guys, just the best place to go to, go to thetjweb.com, thetjweb on Instagram, your two main ways to do it. But like Merce said, give you, you want to reach out to those corporations, be aggressive on LinkedIn because that's where people are looking for. I, I can tell you, I, I know I've been contacted that way, Merce's been, but, but we'll do what we can for you. Hey, final thing before we close up, what's when you give your training on this, what's, what's your one lesson you want when people are done with your training, when you talk to them, you want them to take away from this? It's simple. Don't give up. You're Marcus the trail. Fight. Marcus the trail, brother. And he's right every step of the way. And that's and it's it's it really is that simple. Don't give up. You know, you're still here. Life goes on. Make it happen. You know, and um, like I said before, it's I'm not superhuman. Marcus the trail is not superhuman. You know, we're all human beings, and we're all capable of doing the same things. It's just the mindset that you can gather and what you have inside your heart. So make it happen. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And so this is us. People can't see this. This is us saluting you, TJ Webb. Job well done. You guys don't go anywhere. Everyone else, stay tuned for the debrief. But man, if you ain't inspired by that, go get your heart checked. Go get your head checked. I mean, shot six times, his leg shot in the hip, painful. And he's out of the hospital in 13 days. He goes into recovery. And then he runs an Ironman and runs, what is it, 5K or something else? And he decides, hey, two weeks later, hey, I'll do it again. Yeah. In fact, that's the profile picture on the webpage is him crossing the line in the Ironman, the, the half Ironman, 70.3. But well, why didn't he run the full one? I don't no, he was shot six times. He's recovering. This is like six, seven months later. I think uh, uh, swimming 1.2 miles, biking um, 50, uh, 56 miles, and running uh, 13.2 miles to get to 70.3. Uh, 2.1, yeah, one, yeah, something like that. I forgot what it is. I should it's know. A it is, way. It's a long freaking way. 70.3 miles. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this I, now. Would we tell you in the in, at the introduction? This I mean, this motivational story. TJ, I, I hope to get to meet him in person someday. I am uh, a fangirl of his now. I, we will do everything we can to promote him. You got to go check out his website, uh, which I just lost. Thetjweb.com. There you go. Thetjweb. That's what he is on Instagram too. That's all in our show notes. Uh, Thetjweb on Instagram and his website. This guy is just unbelievable. Um, and, and actually when JR, I spoke to him and told him about TJ, he was, uh, pleasantly surprised. So who's JR? Well, you got to stick around and find out. Stick around coming out. And we're that, this one's a slight deviation from what we normally do. It still fits into the mold, but you'll see what we're talking about later. So anyway, guys, if you enjoyed that, head on over to Apple, head on over to Spotify, hit those five stars. It's magic. It's Disney, David Carpenterfield, David Blaine, name your favorite uh, magician. 
It, we don't know how it works, but we just know it works. I just came back from Orlando, Magic Kingdom Universal, all of that happy stuff. Just do it. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more info about the show. You know, and uh, we, we've got pictures from TJ. Go see TJ's pictures there. Follow us on that thing on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, and the Instagram. But man, where you got to be, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It is going on over there. Our case of the month, our 911, uh, who shot who, <laughs> um, you know, our, uh, our Q&As coming up. Uh, we had some people miss Q&A, so Rapid Fire, Rick Jacobson, and uh, uh, just spaced out her name real quick. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. We had a couple folks say, ah, oh, we missed it. I want to get back in on it. You can. There's still time. It'll come out in April. Uh, and just like we did, our uh, You Can't Make This Shit Up uh, case of the month. Uh, we've got our stuff coming out for our Warden of the Throne uh, exclusive stuff, as well as for our uh, monthly Narcometer, which Murph will be putting together. So if you guys yeah. want to see that, you got to join us. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Hey, everybody. We're always looking for your feedback. Rate us on the charts. Go on to Apple. Give us the five stars if you think we deserve five stars. Whatever it is, you know, we need to know what you like and what you don't like. This is all about getting the information to you. So just want to say before we hang up here, to TJ, you're a freaking stud, dude. You're a hero in my book. I don't have heroes, but if I did, you'd be at the top of the list right now. God bless you see and this. your family. Yeah, right. you can't see this. This is us saluting you, saying good job, Task Force Officer Delaware, Milford, Delaware Police Officer TJ Webb, the TJ Webb. Yeah, the TJ Webb.com. Just go visit him out. Okay, guys. Yep. We're bringing this to an end. So thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most, as you saw, the most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. Mm-hmm.